0: morning good morning good morning church new beginnings welcome in Mr. Lena.
1: good morning Pastor good morning. Mike
0: good morning. good morning hey guys my name is Pastor Michael Romero I'm your worship pastor here at New Beginnings we just want to welcome you this morning to New Beginnings uh, why don't we welcome one another that's right we can give a round of applause for you guys who actually woke up this morning at daylight savings time okay and got here um, you won't be surprised that in about an hour from now this will be our full room we are right in the middle of our sermon today. Well, <laughs> <Yep. laughs> guys, hey, right before we get started, uh, we just want to catch you up on a couple of announcements today. Uh, why don't we do that? Sister Lena, what's going on? What do, what do we have going on?
1: So, today after second service, yeah. we're going to be having our child dedication service. Um, if you're not too sure what that is, it's basically uh, if you have any children, uh, I believe it's 10 and under, about any younger children, um, if you are a parent or a guardian, uh, you are... It's you making that proclamation that you're dedicating your child to the Lord and that you are going to raise them to know, live, and share the love of Christ. So it is beautiful service.
0: It is amazing, actually. Uh, I don't know if you guys were here for Baptism Sunday just a, a couple of weeks ago. We actually had a dedication of an adult who wanted to dedicate herself, and she actually had a pair of— uh, in. in in our Hispanic culture, Anino and Anina, yeah. godparents. Mm-hmm. She had a set of godparents with her at the baptistry because wow. she said, I want to dedicate, I want to be dedicated with my. So she had her parents with her and she had her godparents. So it, she wanted to do that. And then right after that, she got into the baptistry wow. and got baptized. And so, because Amen. she had just received the Lord as her Lord and Savior. So. I mean, it, it, it wasn't always about 10 and under. We've had little, we'd have teenagers actually. We've had them actually at the altar because wow. they've come to faith after that. But guys, it, if you're here for child dedication, um, uh, it's after our second service. So mm-hmm. we hope that you would be able to join us as well for that. Sister uh, mm-hmm. uh tell us a little bit about parents night out. That's gonna be an awesome time. So parents, that's a free babysitting night. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So those parents are probably not here because they don't wake up on time at daylight savings time anyway.
1: (laughs) That or their kids haven't (laughs) woken (laughs) up yet either.
0: But But. we want to remind everybody, uh, Parents' Night Out is going to be the 25th from 5.30 to 9. Mm -hmm. And so, look, it's a great message for you that are in the room. If you have even grandchildren that that you may need some time away from that maybe you're caring for and you need a night away, we invite you to please bring them by. Sister Jessica and her team are ready, and so they're going to be just accepting those kids. And if you can pre-register, again, that would be amazing. If you can pre-register, you can do that via our app or our website as well. Yes, yes. And then, Sister Lena, I really want you to hit something hard because we've been talking about this for a couple of weeks. We want you guys to really talk about um, our fundraising night. Yes. Give us some information on the youth fundraiser that we have for
1: IYC. All right, all right. So, we have been working on this for a few months now, and we are so excited to announce that we are having a youth fundraising banquet this Friday here at the church at six pm We have been working so hard like you have the behind the scenes work has been incredible, and it has been so amazing to see all the hard work that's been put into this but this fundraising banquet is um, it is to help raise funds for sending our youth to IYC this summer. And IYC, it's really fun. We've also been hitting that uh, pretty hard lately, too. But IYC is such a life-changing event. So to be able to come together as a congregation, as a church, and to be able to help send them there financially, even um, spiritually, even just to know that they are being supported in this and that we want this so badly for them to get to know the love of Christ, to get to see the love of Christ working in others' lives, that is the goal here. And so through this fundraising banquet, we're going to be sharing testimonies. We're going to be uh, doing worship. And we're just going to be having conversations about how God is, has moved in our lives, not just through our own experiences at IYC. We're going to have some veterans there. Pastor Mike. Uh, I've had but, my share. Yep, yep.
0: I've been here for about 30 years. So I've been <laughs> to quite a few IYCs, yeah.
1: Yep. Uh, but we're also we're going to have a great time. of, of We're going to have food. That is going to be the most like I love food, so I'm really excited about the food part. But we're going to have a silent auction, and we're going to just get to know one another and get to just be here in community with each other and get to see God working through that.
0: We want to we want to ask you to prayerfully consider to truly support this event. Yes. It is it is twenty dollars a ticket. Uh, there's also a discounted uh, rate if you want to buy a table. Uh, I don't have that in front of me for the for the amount, but. Sister Lena three. is going to be out in the, the mall yes. uh, during or after service, rather, in between services. Uh, and so that table comes with a table of eight, uh, with eight per table. But we want you guys to truly, perfectly consider it because we want to we get as many youth as we can out there to IYC to help them get out there. Okay? So please consider that. Uh, it's uh, for March the 18th. Okay? Yep. And finally, church. Um, of course, none of that wouldn't be possible without you guys. Man, we just want to thank you for always being a daily part of what we do here at New Beginnings. We always say thank you for your faithfulness, and we truly, truly, tru- truly mean it. Everything from the lights all the way down to our missions. And uh, We couldn't do it without your faithful giving. So we want to thank you so very much for that. And you can continue to give, nbcabq.com, through our texting, through our app, or through our website. And, of course, our tithing boxes here. Around the the sanctuary, so we want to thank you very much. And you can do that now. All the graphics are up. If you want the numbers or the or the the way to do it, uh, you have the information there below. But why don't you stand with us as we welcome the Lord in prayer, uh, as we as we get uh, as we get started with worship, Sister Lena, Why don't you lead us? All right. Amen.
1: So let's all just close our eyes and bow our heads. Father God, thank you so much. For creating the safe place for us to come this morning, Lord, even though we're all tired because we've lost an hour of sleep, Lord, even though some of us are emotionally exhausted from such a long week, Father, some of us have been going through it, Lord, others other others of us have been hitting that mountaintop, Lord, and we thank you for just being thank faithful through it all, Lord, for just walking with us, for being with us. Father, I pray that during this time of worship and even during this message, Lord you continue to just work on us, Lord. Continue to work on us, work through us, work in us, Lord. I pray that, um, God, your word just dwells within us. Holy Spirit, we invite you into our hearts. Dwell within us. Continue, even in the hard times, to bring forth your word, your promises, your truth, Lord, that we continue to recognize your love in the valleys, on the mountains, and everywhere in between, Lord. Let these words on the screen not just be ones that we know because we've, we've seen it before through repetition, Lord, but let us just acknowledge the truth in them. Let us see the truth. Let us love and, and delight in your truth, Lord. Father, we thank you again. We love you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Amen. Why don't we just take a quick second and welcome one another, church. We get to worship church. All right. Let's wake up a little bit, shall we? Come on, let's do it. All right. We give him thanks for his goodness. Come on. Let's lift our voices together. I wanna scream it out from every mountain top. Your goodness knows no bounds. Your goodness never stops, Your mercy follows me, Your kindness fills my life, Your love amazes me. And I sing because You aren't good, and I dance because You aren't good, and I shout because You aren't good. You're so good to me,
2: oh, yeah. Thank you, Lord.
0: Nothing. Nothing.
3: that i am a child of god you know what's amazing about that <laughs> there's this line in this song that we're about to sing it starts it says i am a wretch and you know that word wretch we don't use it very often anymore can? it sounds like old english but it means an unfortunate an unhappy person i i was a wretch But by the grace of God, I am now a child of God. How many of you in this place can say, but by the grace of God go I? Oh, thank you, Lord, for your blood that has changed me from a wretch to a child of the Almighty. Thank you, Lord, for your blood and your mercy that's made new every day. Thank you, Heavenly Father. We give you all praise and all honor and all glory in this morning. a wretch I remember
0: To Lord, we're trusting, Lord. We pray for our brothers and our sisters, Lord, across the world, Lord, in Ukraine. And involved in so much evil, Lord, victims. Lord, as much as aggressors, Lord, we pray for even them, Lord, for their conversion. For the conversion, Lord. We pray for them, Lord. Cleanse our hearts in this very moment, Lord, as we go before you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in our lives, Lord, for we're able to sing these songs, Lord, of who you say that I am, Lord, a new child, Lord, a new creation, Lord, and who we are, Lord, and what you have done for us, so we're forever grateful, Lord. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Church, why don't you take your seat? On your way in, you should have picked up your communion elements. If you have not picked up your communion element, Will you just raise your hand and our ushers will distribute some communion elements to you? We have just a couple. A church, in this moment of worship, we sang, I am who you say I am. And we're able to stand here and take this communion today and prepare your hearts. Because he has made us new. When the Lord was hung up on that cross, that's why we're taking this in remembrance of what he has done for us. He created us anew. He created us anew. And we thank him for that. And so before we take and we partake this communion elements, will you just take a quick moment and give him your thanks? And give him your prayer? I know I have my prayer Will you just take a moment, cleanse your heart before we go before the Lord and take our communion elements and, and just go before Him. sacrifice and gratitude for his body that was shed for us church he stood before his disciples and the apostles said, this is my body which was given for you do this in remembrance of me we take that breath. And he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This is the new covenant between God and His people. agreement confirmed with my blood do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it for every time you eat of this bread and this cup you're announcing the lord's death until he comes again we're so grateful for that you can take of the cup will you stand with me before we, go? we can go before the lord in prayer and continue our time of worship church Lord, we're so ever grateful, Lord, that we get to take this communion, Lord, to remember what you have done for us, for creating us anew, Lord, for making us a new creation, Lord, so we can sing these songs, Jesus, so we can sing this together, Lord, and we can thank you, Lord, for everything that you have done in our lives, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for making us new. Thank you, Lord, for creating us anew, Jesus. Oh, we give him thanks. Thank you, Jesus. Church, can we sing that together? Let's continue our time of worship, church. Amen. Say, you took my place.
2: You
3: took my place. Come on. laid inside my tomb of sin. Yes. Smith. Thank you, Lord. You were buried for three days. Oh, yes. But then you walked right out again. And now there. No steam. This is why we did no will.
2: For I have been transformed by the blood.
4: Father, thank you so much for your presence. Thank you, God, because it's not something that we just read about, not something we just talk about or sing about. Thank you because we know that you are here this morning. We know that you are here only because of that blood, God, that blood that you gave for us so that way we can have communion with you, community with you. Thank you for who you are, God. Thank you for what you're doing. It's in your name we pray, God. Amen. All right. You may be seated, church. Whew. How are you guys doing this morning? Yeah, doing good? Uh, are, are we awake? I don't know about you. I, I, I went home like at 9 yesterday. I was like, I got to go to bed as soon as possible because I, I never am good about daylight savings, right? Like one time, you know how there's a time of year where you can like get an extra hour of sleep? I was up late doing homework and I ended up getting like three hours of sleep anyway, and normally I forget about this one, but I I was good this time. I was good. Um, But anyway, church, uh, as you guys can see, my name is not Pastor Richard. Uh, I'm David. I'm the youth director here. Uh, Pastor Richard's out being a good grandpa today, Uh, and so, you know, good for him. That's awesome, and he's blessed me with the opportunity to come and to bring today's word. Um, And A couple thoughts before we get started. Uh, Number one, uh, Pastor Richard's been in this series lately on family uh, like stepping stones, and what we'll be talking about today is something that kind of runs parallel through all of that, something that I think is rather universal, you know, it's just so, uh, some, it will help us kind of get a background on how things are influenced in interpersonal relationships and stuff like that. And number two, um, I'm kind of a nerd about these things. Um, And so the way I'm kind of structuring this is uh, via the inductive Bible study method. I'm kind of diving in deep, and so I kind of want to invite you into the process of unpacking the text with me. Uh, So I'm going to kind of show you, you know, how exactly I do that. So today we will be in Genesis chapter 2, verse 9, and then uh, verse 16 in chapter 2 also, and then 3, 6 through 7, right? And the, the title of the message is Fixing Our Family Tree, right? So our main text for today. The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful and that produced delicious fruit. In the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat of the fruit of every tree in the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat this fruit, you are sure to die. Now in chapter 3, but the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful. And that the fruit looked delicious. She wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. And at that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed together fig leaves to cover their nakedness. Right? So what we just read today is a story that's kind of wildly famous. I think most of us have kind of heard of Adam and Eve and the fall of man. Yeah. Um But what's really interesting here is I think there's something going on that's profoundly universal, but constantly overlooked here, right? Now, there's many scholars who believe in what they call the doctrine of original sin, right? And basically, that's the idea of when Adam and Eve sinned, so did we, right? And I know we're all like Americans, and we live in a very individualistic society. And so it's like, no, wait, no, wait, they did that. I did not, right? I don't know about you. That's me. Like, it kind of rubs me wrong. Like I didn't eat no fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil like I was just at Albertsons the other day they don't have that kind of fruit anywhere like they wouldn't sell to me even if I asked nicely you know and so it's like how did we do that too right and so uh, that idea of original sin which by the way I affirmed uh, is this idea that we've all sinned in the same way I think in order to understand this we've got to take a step back and look at the beginning of the text because this uh, passage is what's known as um, Hebrew wisdom literature right Or, or sorry Poetic meditation literature is something we're supposed to read over and over again, something we're supposed to kind of let shape us, right? We invite the Holy Spirit in to teach us, hey, what's going on here, right? Um, so let's start. Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? verse is pretty straightforward. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? It's a pretty easy verse to understand, but then I, I have questions like, what well, in the beginning, of what? You know, the, the word says that the the world was shapeless and void, you know, so there was something there, and also, uh, you know, heavens, you mean like, it's like the, the blue sky or like the, the, the other heaven, like where Jesus is right now, you know, and about earth, you mean like just, just this, you know, but I thought it was shapeless and void, you know, and so, friends, the Bible is God's word, right, we all know that, I affirm that 194%, and uh, sometimes, though, in order to understand God's word better, we've got to do some digging. Uh, because the Bible was written by people, two people at a certain time. Yes, it is God's word. That's kind of that paradox that we all have to embrace, uh, but it is complex, right? Like, for example, if I were to take a piece of paper and write uh, on that paper, uh, "I don't want to get paid to lose. I want to win." I think a lot of you guys know what I'm referencing. Yeah, greatest movie ever, Natural Libre. Yeah, uh, greatest movie in, in the world, right? And if I were to lose that paper and you guys find it two weeks later, you guys know, oh yeah, that one weird youth dude was talking about that, right? I get the reference, you know. Let's say I fly halfway around the world, wait 2,000 years, and then have somebody read it, there's probably going to be some disconnect there, yeah? Right? And um, oftentimes, we, we take our, you know, our Americanized Western background, and we tend to superimpose it onto the text, which, don't get me wrong, like, that's not our fault. That's all we've ever known, you know? Uh, But doing that over and over again is a lot like driving down to Mexico, finding the first taco stand, being like, hey, bro, let me get a double cheeseburger, extra bacon, extra cheese, and some of that hatch green chili. If you don't have hatch green chili, I'm going to be upset. And as silly as that is, you know, you're missing out on the riches known as Mexican street food. Fantastic. Um, But if you do that with the text, you're missing out on the complex, beautiful riches that we find in God's word. Right? Now don't get me wrong. Uh, if you guys know Anthony Griego, he's one of the teachers here at the church. Uh, one thing he says all the time that really stuck with me is this idea that the Word of God is a lot, a lot like the ocean, right? You can see little kids go up and splash your feet around, have a good time, right? But also the most experienced, skilled divers will never even come close to the bottom. right? That's how the Word of God is. And so no matter where you're at in your apprenticeship to Christ, no matter where you're at in your walk, what we're talking about today is... For you. Huh. So let's go back to Genesis 1-1, this idea that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? Now, we'll stop right there with the phrase, in the beginning. That word, uh, in the beginning, uh, is, 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 I think, one word, a compound word in Hebrew, and it's bereshit berach, right? That word reshit is a lot like the Spanish word orita. You guys have that friend that says, yeah, orita voy, I'll be there orita, and it's like, okay, so two minutes, 25 minutes, 30, dog, I don't know, I w- are you even coming, you know, it's kind of an unspecified period of time, and that word Rashid means something along those lines. And so a more uh, literal translation is like, hey, way back when God was creating the heavens and the earth, this is what was going on, right? And there's this, all this debate about Scripture and Christianity, like, hey, can you have faith, and can you affirm science at the same time, right? That's a question that comes up over and over again, right? But the, the kind of flaw I see in the reasoning is the fact that I think we're asking the wrong questions sometimes. I don't know if Genesis uh, chapters 1, 2, 3, 4 uh, are trying to tell us exactly how God created the heavens and the earth, but instead they're trying to tell us why. Why is this going on? Um, And we see that in Genesis chapter 2, verse 5, there's kind of some blueprints that God gives something to tell us, like, hey, why did God create man? He says, the Lord God placed man in the Garden of Eden to tend and to watch over it. Right, this idea of uh, ruling and subduing. The, the word there in Hebrew is radah. That means to uh, take watch and to subdue. Right, we see that Jesus or that God created the world. Right, and it was shapeless and void. Right, um, another translation says wild and waste. And He made that wild and waste wonderful. He took something that's a mess and made it good. Right, that's the gospel in Genesis one. Right. And when when he calls us to take watch over the world, he's asking us to do the same thing. We're made in his image, right? And so in a functional way, we are to take this crazy world that we live in and be like Jesus and bring some order to it, right? Um, So, for example, my mom, uh, during the pandemic, just like every other mom that I I know, got really into gardening, right? And so there's plants all over her backyard, the, the salsas we made with those chiles fantastic, right? And what's crazy is, you know, if she were to take like a, a, a pot of soil and just leave it there, not do anything, over time stuff would grow, right? Maybe some, some weeds, some, some grass, right? But the, the idea of, you know, being like God in this sense is to take that kind of chaos and let's bring some order to it. No, let's not get, let's get rid of the weeds. Let's plant some flowers. Let's make something beautiful here. That's the intention here, right? And we get down to, um, Genesis 2, 9, 16, and 3 through 7, where we were earlier, and we see where things go wrong. Because you see, originally we were intended to be partners with God, to be like him and create some order in this chaos. Because how many of us know it? we live in a chaotic world? Yeah? And then something goes wrong. Let's go back to that main text, Genesis 2, 9. The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful and that produced delicious fruit. In the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And the Lord God warned him, You may freely eat of every fruit of of every tree in the garden, except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat this fruit, you are sure to die. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and that its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. And at that moment, their eyes were open, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves, right? And so at first glance, again, this kind of seems like a weird story. Like, so they had some fruit, and they covered themselves? Like, I I don't really understand what's going on. And so we need to kind of unpack what's going on in here, right? With all that in mind that we just talked about of how God created everything, or rather why God created things, we need to unpack how things change when the fall of man happened, right? So back to the question earlier, like, yo, what's up with the tree? Right? There's a few things we got to unpack. Number one is the tree. Like, they don't have this fruit anywhere, right? Like, not even at Sprouts. They have all kinds of fruit. Maybe Whole Foods. I haven't been in a while. I don't know, right? But as we discussed earlier, I don't know if the book is trying to tell us what happened exactly as, as much as it's trying to tell us why things are happening. Is this trying to tell us what the first sin is? Maybe. But I think on a more serious level, it's trying to tell us what every sin is, what all sin is. The the tree is called the knowledge of good and evil, right? And if you eat fruit from that tree, you're taking knowledge of good and evil, right? And so by them taking that in, Adam and Eve are taking it upon themselves to then define good and evil. They take in the knowledge of good and evil. For themselves with our little human minds and then we start defining good and evil on our own terms right and that's what you and I do every single day we through our experiences and our formation across our daily life take it upon ourselves to define good and evil we make decisions without consulting God we make des- decisions disconnected from the plan that God has for us to take what's in front of us and to bring order to the chaos right And that's the significance of the tree. That's how you and I sinned in the same way as Adam and Eve. And that is one way to define sin. That's the redefinition of good and evil. Now, number two, as for the sin itself, or rather as for the nature of sin, right? We see a few things happen. We see, first, uh, if you read the whole chapter, you see that Eve entertains a conversation with the serpent, right? She engages in it. Already, that's a heart thing. That's a heart issue. That she's thinking maybe God was wrong. Maybe there's something God didn't tell me. Maybe the serpent knows something I don't know. Her trust is not in God, and she's thinking about stepping to the side. That's a heart issue. Number two, you see her take action based on that heart issue. Number three, we see consequences from said action, right? And so the number one issue that we're talking about there is pride. Sin is pride. Sin is saying, I can do what I want. Sin is saying, I can live Without rules or cares, because I know what's best. Sin is saying I can define good and evil on my own terms. Pride is saying I can define good and evil on our, on my own terms. Um, I don't know about you guys, but when I was growing up, I loved the Nintendo, right? I don't mean like a Nintendo Switch or a Wii. I mean the big, boxy NES one, like that good vintage video game. Mario and Duck Hunt, y'all with me? Like, loved that. But I didn't have one for a while, but I think a relative had given us one at some point. But... Uh, the issue was it didn't work, right? But thankfully, uh, your boy grew up kind of poor, and so I know basic maintenance on things that were made in like the 90s, you know? It's pretty easy, you take a little cartridge, you go, and then you put it back in and it works, right? And if that doesn't work, you flip it around and then you like blow inside the actual thing, you go, and you're good, right? Or if, you know, things get really, really buff, you, you give it the old, you know, the cure-all, the thing that fixes everything, just get a few smacks. And it's good. That one used to work on kids anymore, but they have rights now, so, you know. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, I hit the, I was doing everything that I could. I spent hours trying to fix it. I could not get it. Finally, my mom steps in. She goes, you know, there's a video game repair shop down the street. Let's, let's go see what happens. We take it there, right? The lady takes one, takes one look at the Nintendo, grabs an alcohol, like a swab, and just cleans the inside, cleans the part of the cartridge, throws it in, and it works. Took her 34 seconds, and we were out of there. Didn't charge us a dime. Right, And the reason that she was able to fix that so quickly is because she has knowledge of how the Nintendo was supposed to work. And she has knowledge of what was going on when the Nintendo wasn't doing what it was supposed to be doing. And that's a lot how life is. We've been given this life, and it gets hard, right? But why are we trying to do it without the one who knows how things should be? God knows our ins and outs. I don't know about you, I have, I have an iPhone, right? Uh, any, anytime something goes wrong with my iPhone, I'll take it to the Apple store, right? Because I trust that the manufacturer, that the maker has a knowledge to fix what's going on. And so when we've got something going on, we should be coming back to the maker, to the manufacturer, to the one who knitted our souls together because he knows, he truly has a knowledge of what is good and what is evil. And beyond that, In Christianity there is no room for pride the very basis of our faith is rooted in humility in that I cannot earn my salvation that it took God himself becoming a man so that he would die on the cross so that way we can receive his salvation there's no room for that here I have, we have to get to know the one who truly has a knowledge of good and evil, and we have to stop fighting and trying to do this on our own, and all that starts in the heart. All that is with how we engage temptation, because sometimes it's not a question of, hey, there's a line, don't cross it. Sometimes it's a question Is why are you trying to get so close to the line? And that's a heart issue. And second, we have the issue of self-rule. This is what happens when we let that pride go too far, and we start doing things. We start taking action upon our pride, and we see Eve do this when she takes a fruit and gives some to Adam, right? And now, what's really tricky about self-rule is that many of us are still there. Right? This is something that's going to take our entire lives to hash out for the most part. Um, and the main difference between Self-rule and pride is that it's no longer in your heart, now you're doing it, and the mindset is, is you're always asking, well, the Bible doesn't say anything about this, so it's okay, right? Or it's, it's not a sin, I don't think, you know? And the issue with this, I think we can find very clearly in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. The author here says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such great a crowd of witnesses to the life of faith. Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. He's saying, don't just get rid of sin. Get rid of the weight. Get rid of anything that slows you down. And the author of Hebrews actually says things in a much more pointed way back in chapter 6. He says, uh, chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, So let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. Let us go on and become mature in our understanding. Surely, we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of uh, repenting from evil deeds and placing our faith in God. You don't need further instruction about baptisms or lying on hands or the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And so, God willing, we will move forward to further understanding family. I think this text is very clear saying the act of repentance and having your faith in God, those are the fundamentals, right? Now, don't get me wrong. They're super important. That's something we got to do every day. Luke 9.23, if anyone is to come after me, they are to deny themselves and carry their cross daily, right? But there is so much work that needs to be built on top of this foundation. One of the things that breaks my heart so much in, you know, being in ministry and working with people is sometimes after a while you see people kind of recycling the same issues over and over again right like it's always something with your temper it's always the anger issues it's always that one sin it's always that one drug we always keep coming back to it and I say this all the time heaven is not just a reality for us after we die we could be living in God's presence right now the freedom that we find in Christ is not just there waiting for unbelievers it's there for us now too right And there is more for you than just beating that addiction. There is more for you than just getting out of that relationship. There's more for you than healing that one wound from your family of origin. There is life and life to the full. There is perfect communion relationship with God where you walk with him daily and are just constantly possessed and permeated by his presence. I don't know about you, church. I don't think that we just come here to read about God. I don't think we just come here to talk about him, to sing about him. I think we come here because we can experience him. And I don't just mean when Pastor Mike's on stage or when the handsome young youth guy's talking. I mean we can take his presence with us wherever we go, wherever we go, right? And my question is, do you know what that will do to you over time? What does that do to you? actually a lot of work that's been done even by modern Christian psychologists, and they call the process, like kind of the end goal, a state of yieldedness. Yieldedness is this idea that we are just so possessed and permeated by the Spirit that we're constantly living with the peace that surpasses understanding. Now, don't get me wrong. This is not suppressing your emotions. This is not just like, you know, biting your tongue and being like, God is good, so I'm fine. Like, you're allowed to have negative emotions. This is not having a perfect life, but what this is is a level of spirituality that, is su- that exists with such closeness to God that you embody the wise man who built his house on the rock in Matthew chapter 7, right? And, like, I always think of, there's a story that's kind of famous within the Catholic Church. Anyone ever hear of St. Lawrence? St. Lawrence, uh, within the Catholic Church, um, he was born in December 31st uh, in the year 225. Old, old dude, right? Uh, this dude loved Jesus. He started teaching and telling people about Christ so much that he ended up kind of becoming a big deal, right? But one day, the emperor of Rome was like, hey, uh, I don't like this whole Christian thing. We're going to, you know. And so they went ahead and they had killed one of the main leaders at the, in, in the church at the time. And then the second in command was Lawrence, right? And, and so the emperor approaches St. Lawrence and he's like, hey, listen, if you want to live, I need you to turn over all the treasures of the church to me. To the empire. It's not for you anymore. That, those are the, there's no bargaining there, That that's it. If you want to live, that's how it's going to work. So St. Lawrence did something, that I don't even know if I'd do this. He, he had three days to deliver all the money. And so he spent two and a half days finding all the orphans, all the widows, all the disabled, all the sick, all the poor, all the unwanted, and he was distributing the money, saying... You guys need this more than the empire does, more than the emperor. And when time came for Lawrence to come and present all the treasures to the emperor, do you know what he did? Do you know what he brought with him? He brought the orphans, the widows, the poor, the sick, the unwanted. And he said, these are our treasures, and we are much more wealthy than you ever will be. The emperor didn't like that for some reason. I don't really know why. I think it might, might have just been a bad hair day, already in bad mood. I don't really know. Um, but he had him executed. And as Lawrence was dying, how they, how they did it for him was they literally got a huge fire, threw a grill over it, and threw it, him on that alive. And this guy who had devoted so many hours, so many years to just being in God's presence was just so chilled out about it that he even had the audacity to turn to the executioner and say, uh, hey, bro, I think I'm done on this side. You can flip me over if you want. You know? And I hear this story, and I'm like, how can you get to a place when you're just at, with so much peace that you're literally facing death in the eye and you have the mental capacity to crack a joke? What I'm saying, church, is I think we can raise the bar of what it means to be spiritually formed. I think we can raise the bar of what it means to look like Jesus. One of the things that's kind of tough about the culture that we live in is that we don't really have this idea of sainthood in, uh, in our church, you know, or in the American church, really. The Catholics love it. Uh, there, I, I have some issues with it. But the idea is, you know, we're exposed to more celebrity pastors than we are saints, you know. And the difference between saints and celebrity pastors is, Celebrity pastors tend to have a huge platform, and that's about all we know about them. For all we know, you know, Daddy bought you the church, you know? But, when it, but this idea of, you know, being spiritually formed is something that's kind of foreign to us. And what I'm saying is we, we can start dreaming more about what it means to look like Christ. For example, Pastor Richard, I would argue, has got a pretty big platform here, you know? And I'm so honored to be able to share that this morning. But if you talk to the guy and hear his heart, you will know that he is the same on here as he is down there. He is a spiritually formed man, a great example of what it means to dream a little more and to think, I can look like Jesus. Or I think about the philosopher Dallas Willard who um, wrote so many great books that have impacted me so much. Um, Before he died in 2016, he'd go to conferences and teach, and every session that he taught would be so packed you can't even fit in the room. And if you ask anybody who was there, they will tell you there was something about this dude that you could just tell it was a real deal. It was like, this is what it's like to be around someone who has spent so much time with God. It's the closest a lot of people have gotten to being with Jesus because he's able to dream and think, I can get out of the self-rule. I want to surrender everything. This guy would not get out of bed until he aligned himself with God's presence. Now, church, please hear me on this. I'm not saying that your walk with Christ is not valid. I'm not saying that, you know, I'm not saying that you're not doing great, but what I am saying is that even we as believers get tripped up in self rule. It will come up, and we don't want to fall into the trap of asking, is this a sin, over and over again. Instead, we need to keep our eyes on Jesus and get rid of anything that slows us down so that way we can raise that bar of what it means to be Christ like. And thought number three here, and what happens is the, the damage. In our main text, we read that Adam and Eve immediately take it upon themselves to make clothes and cover up. Now, they've exercised pride by entertaining the idea of taking the fruit. They exercise self-rule to um, eat the fruit and then to also make the, uh, make the clothes. But then after that, I think many of us know the story, they're kicked out of the Garden of Eden. And that relationship is severed for a moment. And in my opinion, that's one of the best ways to define sin. It's that which creates relational damage. That's what sin is. And in Jeremiah, we read some of God's thoughts after being betrayed by the Israelites. uh, Jeremiah 2.5 says, This is what the Lord says. What did your ancestors find wrong in me that led them astray so far from me and they worshipped worthless idols only to become worthless themselves? I don't know about you guys, but when I read this, I don't read angry God who's ready to smite everybody. I read a God who's actually heartbroken, a God who's created things with such love and care. I mean, just take a look at the world that we live in. Do you know if the earth was tilted just a little bit more in any direction, life would not be sustainable at all? Do you know that atoms, like, there's more empty space on this pulpit than there is actual stuff because the way atoms work? Like, that's crazy. God's given us this amazing world, and we often don't want anything to do with that. And say maybe you read this passage, and you do read, no, I think God's actually angry. Well, basic psychology tells us anger is a secondary emotion, right? We don't just get angry one day. It starts in pain. It starts in sorrow and hurt. And you can trust me on that. I have like six psychology credit hours, so I'm basically an expert, right? That's how that works. But God is hurt, and I mean, who wouldn't be, right? Right? That's the damage that starts. And there's really three elements to the damage. Number one, we, we have damage to our relationship with God. Um, anybody in here have kids? Yeah? No? I definitely don't. Uh, sometimes I wear a hat or a shirt that's as great as Grandpa, don't buy that lie for one second. I am deceiving you. I just thought it was funny. Um, I don't have any kids, but I think I'm getting to the place where I'm starting to realize what my mom's thinking when I'm doing stuff she doesn't like, you know? And sometimes there's conflict there, but more than anything, I'm convinced this woman loves me, you know, and she has my best interest at heart. And whenever I'm doing stuff that she doesn't like, probably because she's worried that I'm not doing something good. She's worried that I'm out there doing stuff that's causing damage to me, right? And I think that understanding gives me a good glimpse into God's heart and that, again, God is the maker. He created us knows what we are and aren't supposed to do, and so when we go about just living freely away from him, how do you think he feels? Or I think about the story in, in John where uh, Lazarus was raised from the dead, um, easiest uh, scripture memory verse, by the way, Jesus wept, yeah, I, I love that one, uh, Jesus, God, was weeping, not just, you know, like light little tear, not just crying, he was weeping. We serve a God who has a heart. And when we sin, number one, the first thing that we're doing is creating damage to our walk with Christ. I think the last song said something about how that sin separates us from him. Because there is pain there. Number two, damage to those around us. Damage to others, right? There's a reason that the Bible says to love your neighbor, right? There's a, there's a great author, uh, Dr. Pete Scazzaro, who writes in his book, uh, Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. He says, the number one way you can tell that you're maturing as a Christian is by how well you love others. You cannot love others well if that's not rooted in the overflow of love that we receive from the Father. And I think about the, story, the stories of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. You know, Abraham does some stuff. He lies about his wife a couple of times, right? And we see Isaac, I think it was Isaac, yeah? he does the same thing. He does some lies, he, he says some lies about his wife, just like his father did. And we see these generational sins passed down, this damage that we create is some serious stuff. There's a study that was done, I think, at a university in New York on what they call epigenetics, right? Epigenetics is this idea that we literally carry some of the trauma from our family. They did a study with a Holocaust uh, concentration camp survivor, and they realized that because of the stress that they were under, one of the hormones, one of their stress hormones was altered genetically. And that same um, mutation was found in not only the child of that survivor, but in the grandchild of the survivor too. So while Jesus lives in our hearts, Grandpa may live in our bones, you know? And the damage that we create on one another is not something to be taken lightly because it really... Is something that we carry. This is the blueprints, the background of a lot of the issues we see with our family. Um, not to rat out on my mom or anything, but I'm about to rat out on myself too, so it's fine. Uh, sometimes when she's under a lot of stress, she'll just kind of like she, she doesn't yell at me, you know, because she, she's pretty cool. She, she knows not to yell. Uh, I don't like yelling, uh, but she kind of would just sit back and snipe. She'd just say like one or two things, and it's like, oh, you know, and and, and it kind of hurts me. But then I realized, wait a second, I do that same thing. You know, this damage that we create to one another is something that affects everybody, right? And number three, what I really want to lean into here is damage to ourselves. We create damage to ourselves. There's a few ways we do this. Number one, we, we disconnect ourselves from the life source. If we're separated from God, we are actively living in a way that we shouldn't be. Because I would argue that to live life with Christ is to be more human because we're returning to the original design, the original plan, right? And when we disconnect ourselves from that, we're creating a lot of damage. And I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I so struggle with the shame of some things I've done in the past. Are you with me? And that's one of the toughest things to deal with. I never forget one of my uh, professors always says, "The Bible says, "To love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself." Not, the Bible does not say, "To love your neighbor instead of yourself." He says, "For many of us, if we were to love our neighbors as ourselves, we'd be convicted of some crimes. You know. And so, this idea of sin being rooted in pride coming down to self-rule, and then coming down to this relational damage. This is the background of what's going on when we say those hurtful things, or when we hear those hurtful things, when we do the things that we know we shouldn't be doing. This is what's going on behind the scenes. Again, the Bible is a complex book, but it's a beautiful one. It's also a simple one, and I think there's a clear picture here, and as, as we As we close, I just want to point out one last thing that we see, I think in Genesis 4, as Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden, we see that God himself kills some animals to make clothes for them. And I think in a very real way, that's God himself doing the first sacrifice. God himself atoning for our sins in Genesis 4. That's the gospel right there. And we see this repeat over and over again. We see with uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then we see with David, uh, this idea that they're trying to kind of establish a temple, a kingdom for God, but people sin and mess up, and God steps in, does some amazing things. And then we see uh, after the uh, the kings kind of go bad, they don't even listen to the prophets. The prophets are doing the best, and again, God steps in. And in the book of Malachi, it's 400 years of silence after that, where God just does not speak. And people are like, where is God? And i never forget one thing Pastor Richard said was, that silence, God's silence, was interrupted by God as a crying baby. And that just blows my mind every time Because I truly believe that there's that still small voice that speaks to us. That still small voice that can convict us. And that's something that we need to work out. That's something that we need to practice. Because it's easy to ignore that voice at first. But as you continue seeking God's presence, I promise you that voice will get louder. I promise you the more you open yourself up to it, the more you just surrender and say, God, I don't want to be creating this damage. I don't want to be in self-rule. I don't want to be in pride. He will come through. He will speak, just how he did in Matthew, just how he does in the Bible over and over again. Again, we don't just read about God. We don't just talk about God here. We get to experience him. And so what I want to challenge you to do, church, is start listening to that still, small voice. I believe that the way we follow Jesus is by looking at his life and by doing what he did. Amen? And we read over and over again in Scripture, one thing Jesus did is he spent time in solitude, alone, in the quiet. And over the years, many people have taken that idea and called it silence and solitude this idea of let me turn off the music, let me just listen for that still, small voice. Let's listen with intentionality, church. So I want to challenge you. Maybe on your ride home today, after lunch, you can take, start with 10 minutes and just sit there listening for God. Sit there and listen. Go for a walk. Don't bring your phone. Don't bring your AirPods or whatever and just listen. That still, small voice will communicate. Let's close in prayer. Everyone, take a nice deep breath in. Deep breath out. Holy Spirit, thank you so much for your presence here, for your love, for our ability to dive in the Word and see what's going on behind the scenes. God, I thank you because you're a God who speaks, you're a God who lives. So I ask that you continue to speak, God, to everybody here. Encourage them to start that practice of listening for you, that silence and solitude. Teach them to live in a way that begs the question every time, how are you so at peace? How are you just so relaxed? Let us live in a way that is clear evidence of we've been possessed and been permeated by you. Love. I thank you and I praise you for all that you are and all that you're doing in your precious and holy name we pray amen alright church you are dismissed and don't forget to sign up for the banquet we've got a table right out there and if you need prayer you need something, someone to talk to I'll be right up here so uh, God bless you church and go bless Albuquerque